Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of MGR Unplugged. We are loaded again today. David likes that. Uh, we're always loaded. Yeah, I always make fun of him. Every week, he's like, guys, we have so much to talk we, about. We do have a lot the to talk biggest, about. The I busiest get, schedule. I get all excited before the podcast with all the notes and everything, and I've been taking notes all week, and then I just going to wait until... I, I told him, I said, you know, one week you need to come out and just say, guys, we don't have anything to talk <laughs> yeah, about this week. Well, There's then, nothing going on. When they don't listen to a podcast or they don't see one, that means that we didn't have anything to say. So, no, we do have a lot of things. Obviously, a lot of things are happening in, in little time. I mean, one week now, it looks like a, like a month, like a year. I mean, it's just so much stuff going on that... It's actually hard to, to determine what to do or what to include, what not to include, and kind of keep focus on, on certain topics. So uh, with that said, we're going to get started right away. So I'm going to roll the music first. Thank you. None of you people can tell me to stop. Lower the lights down. Hand over my crown. Hand over my heart. I do this for my town. I do this for my crowd. So turn me up real loud. My time. My time. None of you people can tell me to stop. All right, welcome back. David, how are you today? Great. Better than last week? Yeah. What, what would you say is the difference between last week and this week as far as how you feel? Oh, I'm richer this week because You're of, richer. Uh, <laughs> I made some good trades. You did? What do you do? Well, I think I actually, you know, this should start becoming uh, an investment advice podcast because... Well, let's just put a disclaimer. But with the disclaimer... <laughs> With the, is this an investment advice podcast with a disclaimer of don't listen to me? I'm not an investment Past advisor. Past performance does not imply future results, and specifically results for David with no imply. I was telling people that they should short the market back in February when we were at all time highs. Would have made a lot of money. Yeah, of and course. then about a month ago on this podcast, I also talked about how uh, the only thing I was buying right now was oil tankers. Yeah, and I don't know if people paid attention to what happened with oil this week, but. I made a lot of money on my oil tanker bets. That's oil, for sure. Oil was free this week. They actually oil, were paying you to store it. They were. To they'll buy. pay you. They'll pay you. Well, it's coming back a little bit. It's up yeah, to, it's um, back. I, I can explain kind of what happened. It's right, not that ahead, please. oil was literally worthless. Right, right. Yes, my oil tankers made a lot of money this week, and they will continue to make a lot of money for me. So. We need storage. If you have any storage space to um, store oil, uh, the government will probably yeah. pay you for it. Empty out your pool. <laughs> yeah. Put in oil. There you go. <laughs> I think our pool looks like oil anyways. <laughs> it's such a chore to clean it all the time. Anyways, um, go ahead. Basically, no. Oil did not go negative or to zero. Oil right. futures went negative right. and to zero. What does um, futures mean? It means the Futures price. is just basically you're betting on the future price of oil. Right. Uh, but the problem was that the May contracts, uh, for those who don't know how options work, basically you have contracts and they have expiration dates and then at the expiration dates basically those contracts settle and then you have the obligation to then uh basically if you're holding those contracts fulfill your contract fulfill yeah. the contract and is basically saying so you have like a hedge fund that now all of a sudden has to uh store and transport a million barrels of oil and that's why they start. It went to zero, and then even negative because you know you have these funds who basically says, "I need to get this off my books. Mm -hmm. I can't store and transport oil." Um, and so that's basically what happened. And then obviously, you know, that happened a few days ago. Oil's already bounced back to over ten dollars a barrel. But I think oil is going to be less than twenty a barrel for a long. It, it will. Time. I mean, there's so much oversupply. I mean, it's it's a combination of. Russia and Saudi Arabia and even Mexico and others like I can't believe even Mexico everybody's now. producing they all. don't want to stop they don't want to cut production and then you add that on top of the fact that 
roughly 20 to 30 percent of the global oil demand has been wiped out airlines cruise ships cars automotive all everything that stuff. nobody's moving that, that makes up i i was looking there someone had a pie chart of all the mm. oil and that roughly 30 percent was basically automotive cruise ships and airlines right and all that's gone and so if you have a 30 percent drop in demand while a doubling of supply that's basically why the price has dropped mm -hmm. now the reason that was good for tankers is because these tankers if you don't know obviously as you can imagine transporting and storing oil is not basic okay you can't just put it in your closet and call it a day you know you, you there's tons of regulations around mm -hmm. the safety environmental aspects so you need specific ships that can handle oil right. you need specific places to store it all those things and so basically even though the price of oil is down it's it's the metaphor i kind of gave that i thought was illustrative was imagine if you're shipping something with fedex and then all of a sudden the place that fedex is giving it to uh can't take the package because all these oil facilities are full storage facilities and now you're just saying hmm, well i don't know what to do with that package so i'm just gonna pay fedex every day right. to keep it in the truck i just or to keep flying around yeah just or in yeah, the ocean or exactly. whatever just before. keep it there for now right. and so it's like imagine you're paying fedex every day well that's basically what these companies are paying the oil and, and remember to too that the oil when it's transported it doesn't go straight to gas stations it needs to be going no, to refineries and everything else oil. right it's crude oil so it needs to go to refineries and everything else and then it's spread into the different uses of oil from from gas to grease to lubricants and all that stuff so so anyways my my yeah. prediction was a month ago i don't think russia mm. and saudi arabia are gonna let up i was right and I made some well, good money. they did a little bit, but it's just not enough. No, I not, mean, they, not enough. I mean, they they did some kind of agreement. Uh, I think it was about a week ago. But uh, I mean, that would have been effective maybe in normal times, but not now. Right, and again, now that, that coupled no, with the the drop, the drop in, demand, in demand, exactly. There you go. So, so there's your oil update for this week. Yeah, exactly. In the meantime, nobody's driving, so who cares? Prices are going to go like I don't know how much is in Arizona. I think we're back to uh, 180 or something per gallon, which is yeah. pretty pretty cheap. Problem with oil versus like you know gasoline prices is it's it takes a while oh, yeah it's the not oil, like a you know <clears throat> the oil <laughs> the oil that's dug up in the ground today won't be used for months right right longer. the pump gas that we're paying today is the one that was basically set up months ago what are you doing <laughs> you're out of cold brew all right so economy wise we um uh, this morning they released the numbers of unemployment stuff we added 4.4 million to the existing unemployment number so now we are up to uh, 26 million which basically they say that is um we wiped off all the jobs created since the uh, uh great recession so um so i mean obviously the market is is in bad shape as far as jobs and we know that i mean i everybody knows of people that are furloughed or unemployed or whatever it's just uh, but the 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 interesting part is that in some cases um even with the economic stimulus that we have now from from uh the government uh with the pay uh paycheck protection program and the unemployment um stimulus with the extra payment and all stuff um we um there are situations where some workers are actually choosing not to return to work 
Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, because because challenge. they're because their the stimulus is better than actually going to work. Yeah, no, I've seen that. I've yeah. seen that. And like in our case, we hire a lot of contractors, and I've seen not specifically us, but I've seen other people who are contractors too. Where you know, a lot of times we have, especially because we're an agency, we we'll have projects and jobs where maybe not, we don't necessarily have enough work to hire someone full time, but we can give them twenty hours a week of work. And, you know, I saw people were saying I was offering someone 20 hours a week of work and they turned it down because they said no, because then I won't get my unemployment. It's like, okay, well, that's kind of perverse incentives then. Right, right. And that's, that's one of the things that happens. And, 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 and this is still when you have like a, a decent, you know, for because they say, well, if I'm going to get unemployment or extra benefits on unemployment for like two months, three months, who knows, however they, they may extend it, then they may say, and I can stay home and do nothing, take care of my kids and all that stuff. Because keep in mind, kids are also at home now. I mean, they're home everywhere. And now school is going to be over pretty much everywhere. So there will be even longer time home. So sometimes it just, but, but especially for the entry level jobs, like sometimes restaurants and fast food places and all that stuff that are starting to plan on reopening. And they say, hey, we may start reopening uh, mid-May for certain customers and these conditions and all that stuff. And they're calling back their customers. Not only that, they're supposed to. Because when you have the uh, the PPP or the Paycheck Protection Plan, that's with the condition that you're going to rehire or keep your right. employees. But when you hire them and those guys are making minimum wage, whatever it is that you're paying them, you know, even if it's above government minimum wage and it's, you know, the state minimum wage, like 15 an hour, they say, well, if I'm going to make this money, now I'm making basically 75% or 80% of my income if I were working, but I'm staying home. I don't have to work and I'm getting this money. So that's, that's something that um, is something to consider because when you make these stimulus packages, sometimes they actually demotivate people or motivate people to get back to work right away. You know, it's not like people are saying, oh, especially the majority of the population saying, okay, I'm going to get back to, you're an executive that are just being like for love for a couple of months or, or something, you know, you could work from home, do something, um, and then get back to officially to work. But if you are an employee, like just any type of, um, uh, blue collar work and they just put in your numbers and say well you know what if i'm gonna have to go back to work and i have to take care of my kids and send them somewhere which i can't or pay somebody which i can't and then i'm just gonna get this free money so it's really um it's kind of backfiring a little bit and defeats the purpose of stimulating the economy when yeah. you don't have that yeah it's not an easy thing to solve though i mean what are you right. supposed to do obviously you can't say you know on the one hand it can't be that oh we have to give all this stimulus to help people but then at the same time people are saying uh, oh, well, now I'm not going to work because I'm getting this At stimulus. what point do you decide how large to make the stimulus so it's stimulating enough to right. compensate for your lack of work, but at the same time, not too much, so you decide, oh, no, I'm not going to go to work. You know, so it's, it's tough. And, and, and you obviously, you can't make um, one plan that fits all. And at the end of the day, I think it comes down to people saying, hey, you know what, I'm supposed to be working I'm gonna give up my employment and maybe I can have the money that somebody else will get that really needs it and then I still have a job that is requesting me to get back after all this storm and, and then I just go back. So, but I don't know, it's, it's one of those things that you start thinking and, and it makes you kind of realize that it's not so easy to come up with these packages, you know. On the, um, <clears throat> speaking of the stimulus, the government, uh, the, the, the Senate just passed the, uh, the second round, the second wave or phase of the uh, PPC uh, Paycheck Protection Program. The PPP. 
PPP, I keep saying PPC, I'm so used to a pay-per-click campaigns. Uh, PPP, Payment Protection Plan or Program for um, small businesses to basically, as the name indicates, is just to keep employees employed during this time. So the program basically, when you apply and you qualify, you get approved, it allows you to keep your employees um they basically compensate you for 2.5 months of your employee payroll. Um, so the first phase was 350 billion, um, and it was expired pretty much in a week. Uh, I was talking to uh, to Chase, to um, our rep, our Chase Bank, and he says we received 60,000 applications within the first five minutes of going live. That was back in. April 3rd or 4th, and we all probably have read enough stories of uh, these programs going to companies that have like multi-million dollar um, revenues and and, uh, payroll numbers and restaurant chains and hotel chains, and now they are kind of reeling back a little bit, and the second phase, they're putting much more, or they revise the program to make sure that companies that are specifically public companies are not going to be beneficiaries of this. If they have access to public market money, like investors and all that stuff, they say you are not going to qualify. So you need to be really what is called a small business, not a big business that you compartmentalize into little teeny smaller so that you get all this money. So anyways, that is, is supposed to be approved by the house, hopefully today or tomorrow. And then it opens up another $460 billion, even though not everything is... Um, the PPP plan, some of these for um, uh, hospitals and this, but it's roughly another 325 for for the paycheck uh, protection plan. So we'll see how that goes, um, which brings me to this printing money thing. I don't know where this money is coming from, to be honest. I mean, are we just not worried about that anymore? Definitely <laughs> not worried about inflation. Yeah. Have you seen the, the uh, real estimated inflation numbers? No, <laughs> because there's it's inflation is very hard to track. And then even the government itself does a very poor job, I think, intentionally of tracking inflation because they don't want to tell you when inflation is actually yeah. much higher than it is. <clears throat> uh, but I've seen numbers that show, you know, because how the how the government tracks inflation is they do what's called this uh, this basket of goods. And so they have like a. I think I forget how many things are in that basket, but it's like hundreds of different things. And then they basically look at the price of these and how they change over time. Um, and so I haven't seen official government numbers, but I've seen other analysts who do their own kind of basket of goods research. And I've seen numbers north of 20% inflation. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. It's like, it's like, I don't understand some things. I mean, as much as we um, uh, try to always kind of rationalize Wall Street or the government from Main Street, and I think there's now such a big disconnect between the two that everything that we've learned over the years about how micro... I think that's an understatement. Yeah, microeconomy works. is like now out the window. It's like now... Uh, you know, we're talking about governments manipulating their currency, or like we're, we're talking about China printing money, doing this. Their, 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 their currency is worth nothing because they keep doing whatever they want. Well, I mean, we obviously have the dollar, which is the uh, number one currency in the world. So we are in a stronger position than many other countries. You talk about the euro that you say that 
I mean, your opinion, you think it's going to disintegrate. I don't think it's going to happen because they will not let that happen. But uh, The I, euro or the EU? Uh, the EU and the euro th zone, basically, which uh, they are connected. The EU, I, I mean, the EU has been around forever. They've gone through many crises. So it's it not been around forever. It's been around for 20 years. No, but before that, you had the European community, which basically was before that. I mean, the, U the EU started with six countries, and then now it's exploded to all kinds of countries, but uh, European countries. But aside from that, um, I think we're, we're basically saying we need to fix this no matter what, and then we'll deal with the consequences later. Yeah, and I'm not... And I think the consequences could be just as bad as the, as the band-aid that we're putting now. Yeah, I mean, this gets into much deeper conversations I know. about let's monetary keep it like, policy. Let's keep it uh, uh, because I have a I could go on a whole rant, but um, the disconnect between Wall Street and Main Street. Yeah, I think that. But I, I was more talking about the stock market too. That's what I mean. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. Like again, I don't know how deep. Like, uh, I like th the idea that the stock market is the economy, and people keep referring to that. And even you know, it doesn't help when our president refers to it as that. And it's like the stock market is not the economy. The S and P five hundred is not the economy. The S and P five hundred is the five hundred more successful companies in the United States, but it's not the economy. And I think people are finally waking up to that it, uh, as far as on Main Street goes, uh, because the markets really have not dropped that much. It's like the, you talk about the disconnect. The markets are acting like, OK, things aren't that great, but, you know, we're OK. We're in OK shape. There's no, nothing really that bad. Meanwhile, in real life, you have 26 million unemployed people having massive anxiety, don't know what's going to happen, massive uncertainty. People people are scared to death right now. They don't know what's going to happen. And so in the the Main Street Index, not that there is one, it's like it's totally crashed, but the Wall Street Index, it's still up. It's still, or, or not really crashed. Uh, yeah, it's pretty because flat. I think investors, which is the Wall Street part, are looking at one day at a time and every little hiccup or in the news causes the market to drop two or 3%. And every little spike of good news that we have causes the market to come back up at over two or 3%. So, and that's basically Wall Street. It's like, if me, investor, I'm just going to say, hey, there is a possibility that this vaccine is going to be ready in a week and this lab tested something, oh, sh this is gonna go over, everybody invest, like they don't wanna miss the train. And then the day after is like all futures are down. Oh my God, the sky is falling. Everything is down. Like, like there's no long-term view. It's like well, everybody's afraid of. It's like fear of missing out. You talk about uncertainty. The crazy thing. I was telling this to someone the other day. The crazy thing with oil is that if this happened, what happened this week with oil? If this happened in isolation, like say this happened two years ago, okay, in isolation of any virus, any crisis. That would be the number one story in the world. Oh, yeah. It would be the biggest topic. People would be saying, oh, my God, what are the these? Are, there's going to be massive economic repercussions of this happening. And now that is happening at the same time that we have the biggest pandemic in 100 years. We have possibly the biggest crisis in 100 years. I mean, the fact that both of those are happening at the same time is absurd. Well, and that's why I think 
there's so much uncertainty. I, I don't think anybody, anybody, not the president, not Fauci, not anybody, or any expert, any analyst knows what the fuck is going to happen within the next six months. No, Nobody. they don't. They are learning as they go. And, and on top of that, as we said many times, we have election year here in the U.S., which is basically six months from now. Any other year, any other election year, by now, we will have campaign information or campaign it'll be it'd be dominating everywhere yeah, yeah exactly now be, no one's now really it's like talking about nothing it. it's I very mean, very little we know that there's gonna be elections november if they, i don't even know how we were able to vote that's still up in the air or whatever but but it's true that and that's another topic that i had and it's like every government that this is you know just in the in the um in the u.s but um when you look at what other governments are doing whether it's european governments from france spain italy the uk germany every major country italy obviously um and then uh, even southeast asian countries south korea singapore now is basically having a little bit of a flare up again um it's like i think everybody knows that this is not a matter of two weeks or another two weeks or another two weeks but they keep expanding these confinements and and um, staying at home or sheltering in place, whatever good name, euphemism you want to use for basically quarantine. And they keep saying, oh, we're going to spend it two weeks. Oh, we're going to spend another two weeks. Oh, we're going to have this phase out or three phases, like two weeks and this happens and then these two weeks. By the time this is done, basically, it's going to be months. And, and I think now we're starting to realize that I think governments are afraid to tell people, hey, we only had to be confined for three, four months before we even know what the heck is going on here. Because with with the lack of a vaccine or anything that is a true solution, we're basically hoping that a we don't we don't have too much spread of the of the uh, of the disease, so we don't have we don't we don't overwhelm the 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 healthcare system. Secondly, the people that are sick we have the maximum number of recoveries and then fewer people die. And third, at some point, we'll develop some kind of herd immunity by nature, you know? Yeah, but the scary thing about the herd immunity is that we still don't know anything about the long-term repercussions of the virus. Right. There's already, uh, I saw signs that even people who were asymptomatic, like they didn't have... They weren't sick. They weren't coughing up a storm. They weren't having respiratory issues. They were asymptomatic. And they were having very serious damage in their lungs. And they were doing x-rays of the lungs. And doctors were saying, I don't know if this is going to be, like, this may be permanent damage to the lungs. And these are people who are asymptomatic, that they didn't even have issues. And they had permanent scarring in their lungs. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we don't know what the long-term repercussions are. And so as much as, this is why it's not easy. Like, this is why... You know, it's like, what would I do if, if, if I have to be in charge and decide? I mean, I don't know, honestly. That's a very tough thing. Well, obviously, you yes. need to reopen the economy as fast as possible because the damage is just getting out of control. But at the same time, we still just do not know enough about the virus to be confident in the herd immunity. Right. And that's, what, that's the point that I think all the governments are realizing that we've been... The point in. is there's no right answer. That anything you do is really a... A calculation. It's, it's a calculated risk. Yes. And and again, no government knows what's going to happen. They just need to prevent it and have a plan A, B, C, D, if possible. But they also realize that 
we cannot keep the economies down or shut down for more than two months, basically, which is the time that we've been now in some countries even longer, uh, because it's just not feasible. Then you run into other problems with people just just not being able to leave, you know. So people are already revolting in certain places, saying, "I'd rather just go through the virus, get well, and then move on, than be in my house with no job, no income, no nothing." You know, for months because it's just not mentally, it's just not feasible. So, and I think all the governments are coming with their own plans in in Europe and in the U.S. saying, okay, we're gonna have to start just kind of uh, we can only contain. It's, it's like having your kids at home. At some point, you just need to let them out and say, okay, play in the yard. You know. So, but, and that's probably the reason why a government will not never say, oh, we're gonna have to stay home for three months. No, they tell you, oh, two weeks, and then they come back. Or we're going to extend the confinement to another two weeks. And every country has been doing that. France did it. They, they extended until May 11th, I think. Spain just did it again. Uh, Italy's been doing it. Um, uh, UK as well. Uh, here in the US, uh, Trump just announced last week that we're going to start the deconfinement phases starting on May 1st, up to the governors of each state. If they, comp- if, they, if they meet certain criteria, they can start phase one and then phase two, two weeks later and so forth. So everybody's doing that. But the bottom line is that we don't know how it's going to work. And even yesterday, you were talking Fauci, he said, don't think that this means that we're over coronavirus or COVID-19. It's going to come back. It's basically going to continue in the fall, in the winter, and then we may have COVID-20, COVID-21, 23. We're going to have to get used to live with some kind of coronavirus, which is the generic name, or respiratory, which is the COVID, SARS, whatever. For a long time, this is going to be part of our lives, and we're going to have to change how we react to these things. Now, what we've learned now is how to maybe control it or be more ready. This has been like a basically a trial by <laughs> fire, <laughs> but it's not going to go away. And and people that are thinking that, all right, this is like a, and I'm myself included. I mean, if you if you go back to a podcast that we did maybe two three months ago, I was saying, oh no, this is going to be fine, and the recovery is going to be fast. I'm as more, the more I learn, the more I realize that that may not be the case. That we're gonna have to adjust to having some kind of COVID with us, and just be ready for it. You know, just saying, okay, well, this year is the COVID twenty or twenty one, and we're gonna have to have health checks in place to monitor it and control it before it gets too bad. Just like we do for many other things. You know, so I think that's that's something that we need to realize. Some people are just not. Uh, realizing that that might be the, the crude reality, you know. I mean, I want to be pessimistic because I think it's actually a good thing that we're going to be more ready, but it's going so, to be a different so what's type the of ready. New reality. Well, the new reality is that as far as the recovery, like, I think, let's put it this way, I think um, we're going to get back to as normal as possible over the next four to six weeks into the summer. And I'm talking U.S. for now, okay? What do you mean normal? Well, like things will start to open. People will start going back to work in certain conditions. Uh, They will allow some restaurants that are ready to open in certain conditions with limited people, limited uh, uh, occupancy. Uh, They're going to allow people to start traveling, you know, uh, with certain conditions. So slowly but thoroughly, we'll get back to people that are going to the office if their offices or their businesses allow them to go back to work, we'll go back to work. Some others will continue to work from home. Um, schools will start reopening in the fall and maybe have kids that are Do you not think more schools than... schools are going to reopen? 
Uh, I don't think they are, honestly. Well, it depends. I mean, uh, but we're talking about everything. I mean, hairdressers, beauty parlors, shopping malls, everything. Like, they will have to yeah, start... Yeah, I mean, shopping malls, I mean, uh, there, I, there's a guy who uh, writes this... Uh, uh, publication called 2pm it's great if you're if you're in retail you should read it um and he's one of the smartest guys in retail and he's basically said that malls are done malls are done there's well, no they were already dying a slow death and this was the nail in the coffin that he's, yes that basically i, I agree more than because it, it's funny because you know he was giving the data and it was how many what is the uh malls per capita or or Mall square footage per capita in the United States, basically. And the U.S. was double. Basically, the U.S. has twice as many malls per people, per person, as any other country in the world. And the next highest, I think, was Germany. Um, And it was slowly shrinking over time. Basically, we just had way too many malls in the first place. On top of that, you have the digital revolution that started killing off malls. And now you have this third thing of basically the virus killing malls and that he he basically said we could see more than half of all malls in the United States just shut down and never come back. Well, they will. I mean, it's just not, I mean, <clears throat> for one, as you know, the malls are based on tenants paying rent for their spaces. Some of them right. are saying they're not going to pay. Some of the anchor stores there, whether it's a Macy's or a Nordstrom or even restaurants are saying we're not going to pay any more rental fees or leases or anything like that. So uh, right. At some point, those things will become like big monsters with space. That this is why you know when we first had our fir- when we had our first podcast like what, two months ago discussing the repercussions of coronavirus. One of the things I said was that I think the commercial real estate market, especially yeah, on the retail side, but even in offices too, I think the commercial real estate market is going to totally collapse because yes. people are going to realize you know what a lot of companies are going to say maybe we don't need all these big offices and then on the retail side there's going to be so many retailers that go out of business so many malls i think that the prices are just going to go way down because these these if you own if you're a commercial retail owner and you own all this retail space you're going to have to come to the realization that hey i just can't charge the rents that I'm used to charging, then I'm going to have to do a 40% markdown on my rent. So if I used to charge whatever amount, obviously it's, it varies, but let's say you have a space and you're normally charging for this certain slot in a mall, uh, 15,000 a month in rent. Now that's going to be 10,000 or less basically. And I just think that's the new reality and they're going to have to realize that. I, I am. I was looking actually, I was thinking very thoroughly about, you know, what's going to be, we've been talking about the new normal for a while now, and, and really there's no, I don't know what the new normal would be or the new not normal, but I was really thinking about trying to separate verticals or industries and see which ones will be able to recover faster, which ones are going to have a hard time, and which ones are going to have to have a hard crude reality check as far as how they do it. And we have this chart over here, which is actually from our open table, and um I, I, I really think, and this is something that hurts because we work a lot with, with hospitality and restaurants and all that in, in, in marketing, but I really do think that hospitality and, and restaurants and that industry and the travel industry in general is going to be hard hit for a long time. And many um, of the small independent hotels specifically and smaller restaurants will just not make it. I mean, some of them have already shut down, but I think if they were barely making a profit when the restaurant was full or 80, 90% occupancy, 
they will just not make it now because to to be able to have people to go to a restaurant these days, it is one thing that you reopen. Another thing is that customers decide to come and they feel safe. And you cannot just reopen. That's the thing that I, I think there's a big disconnect too with all these hotel operators, especially the smaller ones where they think, oh, I hope, and I hear that all the time. I talk to marketing directors and vice presidents of e-commerce of this. Most of them are just saying, I hope this goes over soon and blah, blah, this goes over so we go back to normal. And I'm thinking, there's not going to be back to normal the way you were basically three months ago. People are no longer going not, to... Not for a while. No, exactly. I mean, customers... I mean, this, the, the CEO of Skift, which basically all they, they're an industry publication for hospitality and travel. Uh, he, and if anybody is supposed to be kind of biased and kind of lying about it, because most of his customers are literally marketing executives, hotel executives, airline executives. He basically said, I think it's going to be... Five years. Oh, at least, but not just five years for that. It's it's gonna be <clears throat> a whole new look and way to operate. So it's not like most of the hotels and major properties are now shut down. Yep. They they basically no they didn't have a choice because you cannot operate a monster five hundred room hotel when you have no guests. When people cannot travel, they cannot stay. I mean, basically, you have to shut down. Let your employees go and say, hopefully we'll call you back as soon as we get back to business. But it's not like you say, okay, we're shutting down because whatever situation, like an earthquake or something or some other catastrophe and we're fine, but everything, every road that leads to us is busted. So we need to shut down for two months until everything, the bridge is rebuilt. Okay, fine. And you go open back to normal. This is not that. This is a situation where life as we know it is going to change and it's going to change for good and you cannot just reopen like business as usual you're gonna have to make drastic changes to the way you operate the way you manage your restaurants the way you do your room service that when you do your your house um, cleaning your booking your uh, registrations interactions everything for guests to feel comfortable that they can go there after being three months secluded in their homes or even with their families and then feel safe it's just not going to happen like that, you know. So that's what we were talking last time about this health passport or something. Uh, and, and that's another thing that I want to discuss today um, as, we, as we have more time with the privacy and all this uh, contact tracing and all the stuff that, we're, that we want to get to. So remind me of that. But uh, the main thing with this is that you see business open table bookings. And I was just reading basically. Yeah, scroll down on the page. Yeah, open table has had basically. Because I sent out in my weekly newsletter that I send out open table bookings about yeah. a month ago yeah. in early March, yeah. and it was down seventy percent. And I was like, "Wow, well, this is this is open. This is updated. This is actually by open yeah. table." So this for is those listening, part. we're basically we have a table mm -hmm. from open table. Open table is, if anybody doesn't know, it's a uh, restaurant booking service, basically. Right. So you can reserve online, basically. So so this chart, which is actually by open table instead of the industry, uh, they show you the trend in all the countries where open table has a presence, which is obviously in the US, UK, Mexico, Ireland, Germany, Canada, Australia, and then global. So when you look at this is day by day and right. it's updated so by them. So I sent this, so scroll over a little. I sent this around here, somewhere around here, mid-March mid -March, last yeah. month, when it was like US, you can see down 56, down 48. But look at the drastic changes. Just, just at the beginning of March, okay, March 1st, the U.S. was bookings, reservations for restaurants were up 2%, okay, year over year. And then the Germany. global was even. Germany was up 9%. Right. And Germany was better. Obviously, it depends on, on the um, 
uh, geographic location, weather, and all that stuff. But anyways, March. But basically, open this is early was, March. Was doing pretty good. Scroll. And then over. look at how quickly it got bad. Then this is 3:15 is when the U.S. started basically official we started filling it at the beginning of march and then i think it was the 14th or the 15th where we officially declared um state of emergency or whatever um and then from there two days later it went down from down 48 percent to down 84 percent to down 91 percent to basically zero i mean right now for the last basically month okay this is 317 and we're now this is 320, uh, 422, April 22nd, we've been down to zero reservations through Open Table. Happy Earth Day, everybody. You yeah. know, the Earth is feeling good. There's a lot less pollution these days. But, yeah, uh, but, yeah, that's right. Um, but but the point is that obviously Open Table is hurting because they get right. commissions. If, but but if, the main if, thing is this, that this, this chart, because this yeah. is global, right. this is Australia, Canada, Germany, Ireland, Mexico, UK, US. This chart says it all. I mean, I think that's you really don't need to say, you know. And I believe they have it, about sixty thousand. Pictures are worth a thousand words. Yeah. Charts are worth a million words. Well, and, and there you go. And this is an example of Open Table. Basically, manages I, I believe is about sixty thousand restaurants around the world, majority in the U.S. But that's telling you they're the largest online booking engine for restaurants, right. reservation engine. Right. So, so tell, it tells you that. This is not going to recover just because the economy say, or, or the governments of different countries say, oh, we're going to start phase one, phase two. For those, there's conditions to that. And then a restaurant owner may say, based on the governor of the, of the state uh, information, they say, okay, well, the cases are decreasing. We don't have any new cases. Mortality is decreasing, all that stuff. We have social distance masks and everything. And then it says, yes, we can start opening the restaurant, but it's gonna have to be a 50% capacity because they require social distancing and all that stuff. Then I'm gonna have to put some, maybe some dividers. I'm gonna have to redo the menu so they are not like all these greasy things that everybody touches. I'm gonna have to redo how the, how the food is served, the drinks are prepared, everything. I'm sending <clears> you a link too, because I wanna, cause we, we're talking about charts, I'm pulling it up, so that's what I'm doing on my phone. But yeah, like I said, this says it all. But, but this is just restaurants. Okay, when you look at Expedia, Expedia is basically, and all the online travel agencies are the same. That's for travel airplanes, you know, flight travels and everything else. So they're on the same, they're in the same boat. Expedia basically said they are actually, actually, uh, right now asking for uh, financing from from their own um, financing their own debt. I guess asking for almost four billion dollars. But Expedia said basically we're only spending their advertising spend has decreased a lot yeah i mean booking i think actually i think it was was it C- expedia or booking and the ceo of one of them uh basically said last year we spent it was expedia basically i think he said last year we spent four or five billion on google ads yeah that was this expedia. year we will <clears throat> spend less than a billion yes we'll spend 800 million i think is what he said right so that's basically 80 plus percent drop right in ad spend and obviously that that's why when you look at the ripple effects you'd say okay well google shouldn't be directly impacted but yeah they are because if all of a sudden i mean it's we don't know yet we're in marketing and i've seen estimates that that are guessing that we'll see a 20 to 30 percent drawdown in global ad spend this year compared to last year and that's massive, you know, that is, that is massive basically, because, because if that's down, then for example, lots of agencies, then if all of a sudden they lose 20% of their clients, then they have to start laying people off, right? These are the, the ripple effects that happen. And then I just sent you a chart that is, we talk about 
who is affected, who is not affected. And basically, if you click and open this real quick. Hold on, let me get to uh, the mouse here. Okay. And then just open that real quick. Basically, this is... Uh, you need to explain it for people that are not uh, watching. Yeah, so for anybody listening or watching, basically this chart is showing the uh, annual investment from VCs and early stage consumer startups. So these are D2C companies and uh, basically consumer apps. Mm -hmm. And so these guys are directly, we see, we've seen this boom. So this, it starts in 2015. 2016, 27, 2018. And you can see how, obviously, it's kind of sporadic by year, but it was a general uptrend, especially 2018 was the biggest boom. Then 2019, because so many companies were kind of facing a reckoning, we saw the WeWork collapse. We saw Uber uh, hit a lot of trouble when it went public. You saw uh, lots of companies do layoffs and kind of shut down, like brandless. So already investment was kind of shrinking in consumer. And now look at 2020. Mm. This is basically, and that's not going up. No. Basically, for anybody listening, the 2020 chart is basically zero, or not zero, but it's there's going to be incredibly little money from VCs put into consumer Add apps to that, the and fact consumer that product. All companies. these VCs um, realize that the growth of our costs, as we also mentioned before, right. is basically gone. Before they were just putting money, thinking, okay, re returns will just come. Now they're not coming. Right. So now I'll say this chart personally makes me kind of excited because obviously I don't want to see VC money dry up. You know, VC money is a very important part of the, uh, uh, the it's ecosystem. what shows the growth of, but of, uh, uh, it's, it's an important part of the ecosystem, but I think that m many consumer companies were getting out of control with their spending. And I think now we're going to see a thriving of the prudent, uh, disciplined consumer companies succeed. And that makes me excited because that's, those are the companies that we work with. You know, we work with a lot of, not we work, but yeah. we work with a lot of uh, companies who are bootstrapped or have some funding, but are not, you know, raising $30 million and then spending it all on Facebook ads, you know? So that makes me kind of excited. But we talk about the ripple effects. This is, this is, these are the effects, basically. It, it affects everything. We even talk about, like, for example, like, uh, we actually had a chat earlier this week because we were just saying, this is actually on the day that oil dropped, and it was like, all these stocks were getting impacted. And it was like, well, why would Caterpillar be down, you know, 6% mm. today? And it's like, well, think about it. What, what, how does Caterpillar make money? Well, they sell machinery and equipment for building things. Well, if oil's down, all of the U.S. oil, uh, basically, refineries and drillers are going to be out of business. So they're not going to be buying all this equipment from Cat. And at the same time, nobody's building new hotels right now. Nobody is building new uh, hangars for airplanes. Like, all of this... These are the ripple effects. So even though you say, well, cat shouldn't be really directly affected. Well, directly, no, but indirectly, yes. It's the second and third order effects. I'm sure well, if you yeah, look it, at it new construction down. numbers this year, <clears throat> nobody's building new commercial real estate. That's for sure. Nobody's building new oil refineries, No, right? All these things. And that's how cat makes. And so that's how you have the ripple effects through the whole economy. And that's how you have 20, 30% unemployment because you have the direct effect and then all these other people who get affected too right and that's the point of the uh that we we're discussing before as far as the recovery how soon will it happen before people were thinking oh shoot it's like you know like you multiply the personal effect towards a global effect and you say okay if i have the flu i may have to stay home for a week or two weeks and then i recover go back to work okay yeah it was a screw up whatever it was a fucked up time for me but i'm back to normal now 
we were thinking that the whole world had the flu or something like that. Oh, we're going to be fucked up for two weeks and confinement so we don't you know, get each other the disease and all that. But this is not it. This is basically 26 million unemployed people is not pocket change, you know. And you don't get those people back to work right away and in which conditions and all that. I mean, people are now thinking when, when they're even making plans to reopen the economy, people are saying, teachers are saying, I don't want to go back to school with 40 kids yeah, that are, you know, and, and uh, restaurant uh, workers are saying, I don't want to go back to, to my restaurant that is, you well, know, not with even all just these. the workers, people. And the people, exactly. Like, so, listen, so when you combine... I love eating out, but like... Right. I don't want to go to a restaurant right now. I don't want to go to a restaurant in the next four months. That's for sure. Right. And the restaurants now are barely surviving with this takeout and, and drive throughs if they're having or curbside pickups and all that stuff just tend to make a living and keep people employed and the kitchen moving. But that's not what a restaurant has a place where they are paying prime real estate in a location right. just to help people curbside pickup. Well, that, that gets into the... Uh, this is a topic we can probably have next week because it's something I wanted to discuss more. But it's the I really wonder where the e-com versus real estate, real estate versus retail uh, uh, balance will be, let's say, 18 months from now, way after this, basically, like, let's say not even 2021. Like, where are we 2022? Like once we're way past this. And I think that because I've seen a ton of discussion of this from lots of people in D2C, in e-com, in real retail, fuck, I keep saying real estate, in retail, um, and discussing how all of this consumer real, uh, commercial real estate, I am tripping over my words constantly here, all of this cons- Is that the coffee? <laughs> I'm going crazy right now. I, I literally am mixing every word I'm saying. Could you start again, please? Let me rewind for a second. Okay. All of this commercial real estate will need to be repurposed because we're going to have so many vacancies either either basically the i i think that first of all we're going to see a lot of the uh investors and owners of these properties just declare bankruptcy because they're going to be underwater in the same way that some, a lot of people go underwater on their mortgages right, yeah. if they're paying let's say right right now you have a like i said like a, a lot where you own this this store for very simple math it's you charge fifteen thousand a month in rent and it costs you twelve thousand a month in a mortgage and so you have that three thousand in profit a month and then you have you know other expenses but basically that's your margin but now all of a sudden, you're not going to be able to rent that out for more than 10 grand a month. So now you're losing money. You're underwater on that. And I just think a lot of uh, commercial real estate entities are going to be completely underwater in the well, next they will. year yeah. or two. And, and, and so we're going to have to ask ourselves, how are these retail? Because the, the U.S. has so much retail square footage. It's unbelievable. And we're going to have so many vacancies in every city across the country that we're going to have to ask, how are these going to be reused and utilized in the future? Because if they just remain empty, that is devastating to the economy because that is real estate that is being completely unused. But I, I, don't, I don't necessarily have an answer, but it's something that I think everybody in uh, both e-com and retail needs to be discussing because it's going to be, uh, I, just, I just think we're gonna see commercial real estate drop 30% if not more. I mean, I just think we are. That everything. I mean, even even um I mean, dealerships for example, same thing. Nobody's going to I mean 
uh, right. dealerships. Right, why do you need to go to a dealership? I know. It was already antiquated. I know, exactly, exactly. I, I, when I bought our last car, I never even touched the dealership. I went online. I think I used TrueCar, one of these apps. Went online, found it. It was actually for a, for a car. Yeah, I forgot if it was a truck. It was, it was a car. So anyways, I went online, found the car that I wanted. Um, it was at a local dealership. The local dealership contacted me. And I talked on the phone with the sales reps, and um, they said, "Yes, we have this one. They sent me pictures, the, the you know the the pricing and all that stuff, and they said we can drive it to you, so you can do a test drive." So they came here. They came to my house. I drove around the neighborhood, and then I went back and I said, "Yes, it's good." So they took it back, and then they prepared all the paperwork. He came here, signed up right at this table in the office. And then the car was outside. Never touched the dealership. Never had to do anything. I didn't care much about going anywhere. So I don't understand the dealerships now. I mean, obviously they are dead too because people there's no salespeople or nothing. They they're trying to come up with incentives to buy the cars and all that stuff. But all the cars are in the lots right now. Right. Who's buying a new car right now? People say, eh, you know what? I would like a new right. car, but but mine still works. I'm fine. Right. But 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 that's just an example of uh, we're going through like we said. Okay, restaurants, hotels. Car buying, this, that. I mean, shopping, retail, everything, construction. Everything. It, it affects everything. It, it affects everything. So when we go back to um, back to work, there are some industries that will be better suited for the new normal than others. Like if you're in a corporate world or something, you know, a lot of people are saying, "Well, I was already working from home, maybe two, three days a week. So now, yeah, I have well, more. Instead of traveling once, twice a month for conferences and meetings with clients, now we're doing Zoom and it's fine. And Zoom is going through the roof, and the Zoom subscribers well, have increased like a hundred million in the last. It's interesting you say that because I was thinking about how we could reuse uh, office spaces because office spaces have their benefits, right? They're, the the thing that's nice about having an office is that. It, you definitely feel more of a connection with the people you work with. And it's easier to build culture when you're all in a space together than if you're all working remote. That doesn't mean you can't build a culture, but it's just a little more difficult. And there's other things that, you know, like uh, Steve Jobs famously has this saying where he says there's the, what did he say? It's it, the serendipitous, like basically the serendipitous meetings and, and, and conversations that come up that may inspire different things. Right. But obviously there's also disadvantages to the office. One, obviously the biggest being for the companies themselves, the cost of the office space. Two, everybody the, has to commute there. Not only that, the lack of productivity too. Yeah, and then three, that the good parts of the office are that you have more community and culture, but the bad part is that that can also lead to a lot of slacking off, a lot of unnecessary meetings and conversations, a lack of productivity. Distractions and things so, like that. Yeah, so there's pros and cons. And I was thinking, okay, what if companies in the future, like if we, if, if say we wanted to basically have an office, but we said, you know what? We don't need to be in the office every day. What if only uh, we needed to be in the office two or three days a week and the other days people work from home? And I think a lot of companies are gonna do this. So what if you partner with another company and basically says, you know, Monday, Tuesday, we get the office and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you guys get the office or something like that. And basically we'll split the bill or, or something along those lines. I yeah. think that's gonna happen <clears throat> because I, I think that it's good to be in the office maybe a 
two or three days a week, but I definitely don't think companies need to be in the office five days a week. And think, I think it's actually beneficial to say, especially when you have, depending on the type of work people do, when you talk about like deep focused work, it's just so much better to do that at home in silence, in your privacy to, and you can focus for four hours without getting distracted mm -hmm. or anything like that. Hey, what do you want to get for lunch? Yeah, hey, I'm going to grab a coffee. Yeah, you know? one, of the, one of the comments from people that are working from home these days is that, yeah, they have distractions that like kids at home and all that stuff, which is not normal. But at the same time, they're saying I'm so much more productive. It's like I noticed that normal things I that it'll take me a whole day to do at the office. Now I'm doing them in half a day, and then I still have another half a day that I can get forward. You know, so obviously, I mean, it's the famous thing that people say, "Hey, I'm going to stay home today because I really need to focus and finish this proposal or this estimate or this right. quote." So people stay home to focus, but they go to the office to work. All right, well, that kind of uh, explains a little bit the situation. Right. But yeah, there's community and all that stuff. So um, I wanted to also get into contact tracing. That's a very hot topic for me. But uh, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back, uh, David. So I wanted to uh, go with you over this uh, contact tracing that I've heard or we've been listening to for a while. And this is, again, going back to what we think is going to be the new normal. Um, so so I've been hearing all kinds of versions of this thing, but, and we kind of touched on it, I think, last weekend too. But it's basically a, almost like a creating some type of health passport that is coordinated with the... Um, and, and the health passport being a passport... The is passport is more than that. Uh, the passport, you're going to another level, that they're talking about tracing. Like we're going to track you 24-7 everywhere you go. Well, yeah, but the health passport basically is an international approval thing that is coordinated with the, maybe with the WHO and the CDCs so of different oh, countries and all that stuff. Great. Yeah, I know, I know. But um, I really this is, let's, let's just pretend that this is like we're in a little bit of a science fiction which may become more oh, science well, than fiction. Okay. All right, go ahead. But let me, let me explain it to you. So, so we have, um, just like that, you have a passport, normal passport for traveling, where you basically go through your local agencies and they say, okay, yeah, this is a safe citizen. You can travel and you have your visas and all that stuff. You can approve them, travel through countries. Now you have this kind of a health passport where it's, called, it's like a worldwide database of uh, health information, okay? They don't care about anything else. Just want to make sure that you're healthy and you're not going to go back and, and give a virus like you escape up country with malaria and they go into another country and then you spread the disease or whatever. So with this passport, basically, you prove that either it could be COVID-19 or it could be any other SARS disease. Right. Okay. Or you have whatever. a passport that tells you that you're healthy. <clears throat> it okay. tells you that and you basically... And on top of that, they're going to track everywhere you go. And the contact tracing obviously goes because you have on your phone, and this is in coordination with the bigger, the, the big industries, like the, the could be Facebook, could be Google, could be Apple. They're already working together, by the way. Um, so you have an app on your phone that is like your passport ID. And then he says, yes, you have the antibodies or you recover from COVID-19 or 20 or 21 or whatever, and you're healthy and you you basically don't have any risk. Uh, so you have like a green status, so to speak, to go into places. Okay. So that might be the way that you can access certain areas like restaurants, hotels. Yeah, here's my, here's my, here's my. Sporting events, things like that. Here's my view. If we lived in an ideal world where there were no bad actors and the who could be trusted and uh, governments never took advantage of privacy uh, uh, overstepping 
and they said, no, this is only going to be for the next 12 months just so we can get it under control. But then after that, we're not doing this anymore. And they had a great, <laughs> the, the government had a great record of really like, uh, 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 preserving people's privacy, um, then I would say, yeah, you know what, maybe that's the right idea. For the next 12 months, we all kind of collectively decide, even though this isn't what I personally would want, it's good for society and we'll do that. And then it's just a year. And then after that, we go back to normal. Then I would say yes. But we don't live in that world. But this is not. We don't live in that world. We this live is in a not just for the, the US. WHO, this is a worldwide. I understand. Uh, we live in a world where the WHO can't be trusted for shit. They're in China's pocket. Uh, the CDC is completely incompetent. The US government has, I think, for the last 20 years, shown no regard for privacy whatsoever. Um, so in the world that we actually live in, in the non-ideal world, unfortunately, I say no, because it's not going to be 12 months. Even if they say, even if they say this is only for 12 months and then it's back okay, to normal, well, that's, that's your then, then, uh, then I don't believe them in the same way that the Patriot Act was supposed to be a temporary measure and it still hasn't changed. I understand. But let's say that this is, that's obviously your opinion, but let's say that, um, I mean, uh, it's a typical an opinion, but at the same time. You really think that once this is in place, they're going to take it back? Well, I mean, no, it may have to be in place forever. Okay, then no. Okay, 100% no. no. Okay, I understand. But then if it's implemented and they say, listen, we're going to have to put, just like when you travel to another country, they're already doing the stuff. If you want to get a passport. I'm not, uh, okay, traveling to another country is different. Well, okay? but this is what it's about. It's but traveling. if you're going to a fucking restaurant and if I don't have my... If I'm if I don't consent to being tracked twenty four seven, I can't go to a fucking restaurant. No, I'm not okay with that. Okay, well, then the restaurant may not allow you to go in because the restaurant cannot afford to have a person that is potentially sick going there and causing another pandemic in their own restaurant. There's a lot of legal ramifications. I mean, what what may happen is that you have this health passport or health pass. Um, that says, yeah, you are basically green. And then you go into a restaurant where you know every other person that has entered that restaurant is just as clean as you are. The restaurant may not risk their own, its own reputation just because you don't want to go there and you don't want to be traced. If you don't want to be traced, you have the choice of not going to that restaurant. And then you go to another restaurant where they say, okay, we don't do health ID or whatever. Fine. You want to go there and take a risk. But if I'm a restaurant owner, I want to make sure that... Yeah, what happens if the government just mandates that all public uh, they may. establishments... They may. To? That's what I'm saying, that that could be the new... And are you for that? Well, it's not... At, at some point, you need to decide, we're going to have to give up on some of our civil liberties in exchange for health and safety. Well, we know that... We know... Hold on a second. We know what the results are of not having this. The results are that is, there's another pandemic or situation like this nobody benefits and we all no, stay but home there's other the ways to control these things without fucking stripping away people's civil liberties okay we wouldn't be in this mess if we actually acted in january when we should have okay so well, we don't you, need to shut the we don't need to all of a sudden turn into a 
fucking 1984 police state because of this pandemic. We need competent government officials. That's what we need. Okay, well, we can go and play Monday quarter, Monday morning quarterback. It's not Monday morning quarterback. I was on this podcast talking okay. about it. I was I, writing in my newsletter in January, and I'm a fucking idiot. Not, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a government official. And I was saying shit that the WHO was denying. Okay, okay and it I wasn't understand. just me. Well, it was plenty of people. We need well, competent leadership yes, and but, officials, but the, not a police state. That's not the answer. I understand, but the the truth is that is that we and every other country in the world, because they are in the same situation, no country has been able to overcome or have zero cases. I mean, even Singapore, that we that, always I didn't put say out, you have to have zero cases, <clears throat> but no, you don't but have even, to have outbreak. No, you but even even Singapore, contained. that was a sample of a country that did everything right, not having a flare up of second Taiwan round of cases. Taiwan did everything right, and guess what? Taiwan has no cases. Okay, or well, incredibly few. Okay, that's fine, but. Uh, the majority of the civilized countries, oh, we can get into that too. Because yeah, that's the another, majority of the civilized countries have completely incompetent leadership. Well, exactly. But we can get into that too because that's another discussion saying um, the totalitarian countries have actually responded better. Because no, they of haven't. The, that's the thing. Well, no, they haven't. Yeah. China, had a, China has more cases than anybody in the world. They might lie about it, but they have more cases than anybody in the world. Well, yeah, maybe they lie about it, but they are flat, and now they say we only have one cases, no yeah, more cases. Yeah, they're this fucking lying. Okay, well, that, that's fine. Very they're simple. lying. Okay, that's fine. But then you have other countries like Taiwan, we don't know. Um, Taiwan, we, we do know. Okay. Uh, we, we have a lot. Uh, how much do you know about North Korea? What's happening there? Yeah, of course. I don't know what happened. Okay, well, exactly. Korea. That's what I'm saying. We don't even know if the president is still alive. But Taiwan okay? is not North Korea. No, I understand. But I'm just telling you, I understand. I'm just telling you that countries where uh, things are more under government control, they basically said, we're going to do this and that's it, period. And then they were able to control it more. Isn't it more democratic countries that we've had situations where, oh, we need to pass this, we need to pass that, we need to have the consensus and this and that and all that stuff. So the entire world wasn't ready for this. And I don't even know, I mean, from the Western world, it looks like Germany was probably the most ready one. They started doing massive testing from the beginning. And that's how they were able to assess the cases. When you look at Germany, they have as many cases as pretty much any other major European country. And why? But, but why, like why I said, Germany they were doing do so more testing better. from the beginning. Because Germany, out of all the modern countries, probably, even though I still think a lot of their, their leaders are not great, they probably have the most competent leadership out of any modern country. Well, again, uh, but let's, let's go into the, uh, the um, future, okay, not the past. So, But the past is, what I'm saying is, we should learn from this. And the next time there's rumors and early signs, early warnings of a pandemic, a potential uh, virus spreading that could be a pandemic, that next time we shut things down in January when we should have instead of waiting until March when it was too late. Well, That's they, my I mean, point. Uh, that, that we can get into, I mean, but we don't know. I mean, you follow like your favorite WHO. They didn't say that it was that pandemic exactly. until much later. Incompetent and okay. corrupt. A double whammy. Well, that's fine. Okay. Yep. And, and Trump took his credit. Like, did, close, who, did close the country. Who's more dangerous at, in power, a fool or a crook? I don't know. In the WHO's case, it's both. Right. Okay, fine. But i just trying to move forward. Okay. So, I, and I'm trying to move forward. Yeah, too. I understand. And I'm saying I understand. But the let me answer... Is competent yes, leadership okay, that's a, who learns that's, that's a utopic from, thing. It's not okay. utopic. It's not who, utopic. Okay, well, who's saying, competent? So, so it's well, okay. Let me ask learn you. Learn from what happened. All right, that's fine. So we have elections in the country in six months or whatever. 
Um, do you think we're going to have a competent no, incumbent president not. or new president? It's a bigger, it's a bigger okay, discussion. Well then, it's a bigger discussion. Okay, well then, uh, let's be practical. Okay, no, so. no. The practical thing okay. is saying that we need... Again, this is a whole larger conversation. The answer is break up the duopoly in American politics. Okay. That's the real answer. That's fine. Well, That's how you change Yeah, the not really, system. because you go to uh, Europe and they have a multi-partisan uh, uh, it's, situation. It's not about multi-partisan. It's not about that. What is the duopoly that you're talking about? Well, it's a duopoly, but it's it's not just about the multipartisanship. Okay, that is one thing. Yes, the fact that we have a duopoly where it's literally you are right or left and there's nothing else is fucking crazy. Okay. Okay. But then on top of that, you have these leaders and entrenched politicians. I mean, the majority of Congress is baby boomers or even older, silent generation. No, I understand. I understand. Why? That didn't used to be the case. The average but, age of Congress has gotten older and older and but older. I, I, Go this, look at the average this, age of Congress no, in the 60s. I'm not talking about Congress. I'm talking about... It's, about, it's everything. It's I everything. understand, well, but I'm just anybody, basically... Trump baby, or Biden or Bernie or Elizabeth Warren, whoever won the presidency, would be the oldest president we ever had. Okay, I'm not talking uh, about the president or politics or Congress. I'm talking about practicality as far as saying yeah. business executives, startups, investors, VCs, they're all saying that... They very They're much not see. All saying. Okay, uh, many of the ones that you and I listen to are saying that we all see a place where they may have these health checks in place. Just like I'm you not go, saying they're not okay, going to try to put me, them in place. Let me make place. my point for a second. I'm saying that they shouldn't. Okay. And, and like I said, maybe. if we lived in an ideal world where they did it for 12 months and then okay, back to normal, no more tracking, I would I would be for it. But we don't live in that ideal world, well, unfortunately. Once we have terrorism attacks or terrorist attacks. <clears throat> we went to a world where basically we need to be checked and triple checked before going through the airport. And we had TSAs and other stuff. That happens worldwide, okay? So now this is a biological, invisible enemy virus, okay? So I think it makes sense to a certain point that to a certain extent that you go through a public place, whether it's an airport or a place where you're, there's a lot of people there, a sporting event or whatever, or hotel, and they say, hey, we need to make sure that you don't have any disease with you. I personally prefer <clears throat> to know that if I'm jumping on a plane, that the rest of the passengers that are like a feet away from me or a foot away from me or even closer that are healthy are supposed to having a guy that is coughing or whatever. And then I don't know if he's just coughing or like I just did or if the guy has some kind of virus. But if I know that the guy went to some kind of health passport and he says, okay, well, that guy is as healthy as I am. So I'm that's not my disagreeing point. with you. Well, I mean, that's part. just, but I'm saying that. I mean, everybody's saying that this COVID-19, first a, of all, is not going away. It's a slippery slope. Okay. Yeah, that's of course. the problem. Yes. It's a but slippery slope. consider the alternative. And it's the, it's the, it's the shifting of the Overton window on what governments are allowed to do. And when you start giving up your civil liberties, they're going to take more of them. This is not anything new. It's been happening for well, 3,000 years. Haven't they years. taken your civil liberties now by telling you to stay home for six weeks or eight weeks and basically do nothing? They've taken your job. They've taken your ability to go out. To, I mean, you have no civil liberties. I mean, this country, civilized countries where basically they've been confined in their houses in Arizona were a little more free to do some stuff. But go to New York. I mean, they're being like locked down there for weeks now. 
But in Europe, they've been under heavy confinement because that's what they said. You can only go once a day, buy food, or go to a pharmacy. That's it. You cannot do anything. I'm, Talk about I'm not civil liberties. I'm not disagreeing with those measures because they're temporary, okay? No government would ever say, okay, no one's allowed to but leave the house But the virus is not temporary, David. Again. That's what we were talking about. No, the virus is not temporary, but I'm saying, no, the virus is not temporary, and there will be more viruses in the future. But I'm saying that there's better ways to do it than okay, all like, of a sudden. Like what? Like I said, okay. acting sooner. Yes, that's the but answer. You cannot act you can't sooner. always act sooner because this is not something that you, you can. can prevent. Okay? What with the flu and all these other things, we say, okay, we have the flu season, we have the strain that we're gonna try to have a vaccination. Even now they have shots for the flu. And as you said before, you don't take a shot or you don't take a flu shot. I don't I don't get flu shots either. So that doesn't mean, I mean, I can go somewhere and say, okay, well, you know, I never get sick or whatever is fine. I just prefer not to be around people that are sick because I usually get sick when people are sick and get me sick. And that happens to everybody. But the flu is known and all that stuff. And even though we have vaccines for that, there are people that don't like it, they don't take it, whatever. And okay, people to still clarify, in case people didn't hear, the reason I don't take flu shots anymore is because I've, I've never gotten the flu in my life. I, I never get sick. And the only times... And both, I took it twice, basically. And you got sick because you took it. And both times I got super sick. I understand, but but that's your choice and it's fine. But I'm saying that you can't always... I I just don't want people to think I'm like anti-vax. I'm not anti-vax. No, 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 no. But but you can always anticipate or have this thing about, oh, there's going to be this uh, pandemic or, or whatever. I mean, we had... Tons of things going on. We had the Zika virus. We had the this and that, the H1N1 and this and that. They never, I mean, they can spread. They cannot spread. You never know until the WHO, whatever statistic you have to say, okay, for now, yes, we're going to declare a pandemic because it's expanding to more. And, and the world is more global now. You need to understand that the more we evolve, the more we travel. Before, for people to travel outside of their city was unusual. Outside of the state was even more unusual. Now people are traveling internationally. So all it takes is one person that runs with one virus from one country and comes and the person may not even know that it got that disease or that virus, which is what happened. All the, the initial stuff that happened in Washington or here or some Chinese or whatever, they're still trying to trace how it was the first person number one. In Europe, they detected that it wasn't even a one single case or patient zero or one or whatever. It was like 14, 15 different things from different places that were at the same time. So it's not easy to do that. It's not the government. It's not the congressman that is 80 years old or whatever. That's not what it is. It's just basically things happen. So No, I disagree. Okay. I disagree. Well, that's fine. Because they didn't act. They didn't act. Okay, yeah. They didn't act to prevent it faster. And maybe instead of um, 40,000 people uh, dead in the U.S., would have had 20. Okay, there's countries that acted very fast, as you know, and they still have victims. They still had deaths. They still had to take measures. I'm not saying measures. you're not going to have any cases, but you're not going to have an epidemic. That's the difference. Okay, well, a pandemic is basically when the cases happen in majority of countries. That's what pandemic means. No, I said epidemic. I understand. I'm but saying you won't have outbreaks, okay? I mean, Taiwan is a perfect example. Taiwan, in the second week of January, shut their border. Okay, because they realized it real quick. Obviously, they're in very close proximity to China and they have tons of travel between China and Taiwan uh, or Chinese Taipei, as uh, China would like to call it. But I call it Taiwan. Um, And so they shut it down like that. And guess what? They they put very strict measures very quickly. And then they they have not had any outbreaks. They've had very few deaths, very few cases. It's completely under control. Okay, because Taiwan, first of all, was heavily affected by the SARS 
uh, outbreak last time. And so they were ready. Korea, same thing. Korea obviously uh, acted very quickly too. And that's a country that a lot of people are pointing to. No, I'm not saying you can have zero cases. Obviously, when you have something as contagious as this with international travel, but the idea, the fact that our government, okay, our president in late February was saying it's just the flu. Is okay, well, that, that's just, that's fine. I mean, I'm not talking about the U.S. or any other country. It's every country. It wasn't just no, Trump, but by I'm, the way. I'm just I mean, talking. Macron actually said it like two days after Trump said it was the flu. Macron said, we're not shutting anything down. And then the next I, day said, oh, we're shutting down the whole country. Okay, I, I mean, understand. But, but I'm, not, I'm not making this a political discussion. Okay, but it is a political discussion. Okay, well. It is a political discussion. It's a discussion of, of the answer. The answer is not give the idiots more power. The answer is get rid of the idiots. That's what I'm saying. Well, that's very utopic because it's not going to happen. You have too many idiots. So it do, does if, if for you, if every if every government elected official is an idiot, then why you vote for them? I mean, I don't vote for them. Okay, well that's fine. But but my point is that let's forget the politics for now. Okay, let's be practical. But you're and talking then, it's a political issue. You okay, say, should we take away civil liberties? That's the most political fucking no, conversation I'm not, I'm, we could have. I'm asking you. I'm asking you if. In the future, which may well happen, um, we know enough to say that COVID-19 is not going to disappear. It may be under control, but it's basically here to stay. We may have COVID-20, COVID-21, whatever, different types of um, um, coronavirus diseases phases coming in the future, and they will happen. I mean, they're already saying that it's not going to disappear in the fall, in the winter, or whatever, and we just have, and, and next next fall, winter, we're going to have the coexistence of flu, which we didn't have this year, because by the time COVID started, flu was over, and COVID, so we'll see how we deal with that, okay? So that's happening this fall, winter, which now they're starting to say, yeah, we need to get ready for that and make sure that we can control it. Good luck, because there's no vaccine yet, okay? So, but... There might be a situation, and some countries are re-implementing, where they say, hey, yeah, we're going to have to have some kind of thing where we can control the mobility of people that are positive, basically, or people that are not clear. And you're going to have somehow to have a separation between the people have the antibodies and the past disease, and they are this and that, or the people that are, are basically with symptoms, and separate them. That's the only way. That's the social distance. It's going to be real social distance if we want to reopen the economy. So at some point, you need to decide... Just like we go to the airport and they say, hey, I know you're a great guy, but I want to make sure that you don't carry anything. And they say, take your shoes off, take everything out of your pockets, blah, 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 x-ray, all that stuff, and you go through, okay? And you go through and travel. Well, they're going to say, okay, show me your phone. Yeah, you're green, perfect, just go through. You're not, no, sorry, you cannot get on this plane. That, that's basically it. There has to be a way where they can check if people are sick or not. Is, that's the bottom line. They cannot get 200 people in a metal tube with one person who is sick. And that person travels to Berlin in Germany. And then when they go there, they're going to say, are you good? Yeah. If not, sorry. I'm sorry. You cannot enter this country. I don't see. Uh, yeah, it's a civil liberty, whatever. I mean, it's. For uh, international travel, I leave that up for to any countries type of travel. to decide. I'm okay. If countries want to do that, I don't have a problem. I'm talking, you're, you're taking it a step further where you're saying you can't go get a coffee without your health pass. No, I mean, I'm talking when you go to certain events where there's like crowded events. And that's something that, again, if, I'm, if, if you're going to a stadium or some kind of sporting event or trade show or something, they, they, will, they already check you. You go to a movie theater, they may want to know that you're healthy because that's just normal. Otherwise... The movie theater may be liable, may be actually sued. In, in some cases, there are situations where they can basically say, hey, you admitted this guy that was sick knowing that you weren't supposed to, and now we're going to have our team basically 
or, or a lawyer sue you because you got all these horrible people sued, uh, sick. So, I mean, there's a lot of, it's, it's some discussion that needs to be had because I'm not disagreeing. It's a discussion that right. needs to be had. I know. I'm not disagreeing that this, no solution is perfect, but I'm saying, Let's say you sorry, go to a gym. sorry if I'm incredibly, uh, how do you want to say it? No, uh, I understand. Untrusting. I know. I understand. I, you don't have to be sorry about that. I mean, the bottom line is that right now we're being traced all the time anyways. I mean, as you know, with your phone and everything else on this, you have a burner phone or something, you're being traced all the time. And the people know. I mean, all, all the apps that you have are tracing you, are tracking you. That's how you know if there's traffic or not because the phones are basically saying, oh, this guy's in the car and stuck in traffic. And there's 10 people with the same phone, with the same truck, and they're, they're stuck in traffic. That's how Google knows that there's traffic ahead of you because all these phones are being stuck in traffic so you're being traced anonymously all the time no, i understand so uh, but you're taking it to another level no no it's the same level if you are if you are driving on a freeway and you see on your little uh, no, google map the a red work. area no, i totally understand okay you understand but let me explain it to people so you see a red section ahead of you that's not google that has a guy there saying oh there's a lot of traffic no okay well, that red section could be you're going to a restaurant and they see that red section saying there's a lot of infected people or iffy people there. You sure you want to get in? You're like, mm, no, maybe I'll go to the next one. I don't see any problem with that. I would love to have a phone that does that. I would love to have a phone that if I go to Starbucks and it's crowded, I'm in line or whatever, that tells me uh, that place has a, fun, a, a bunch of uh, orange and red and very few greens. Okay, fine. I'll go to the next one. Perfect. You know? I mean, I don't see a problem with that. I mean, I'm, I'm maybe you don't I'm, see a problem. No, I mean, not because it's anonymous, okay? Not because it's basically saying this person, you're going into a... It's the same thing with the traffic. I don't know if Joe's more stuck in traffic. I just know that the, whatever cars are ahead are basically going at two miles per hour bumper to bumper. And that's how I know it. Maybe Google knows that there's John, Jen, and Jimmy, but I don't care. I just know that there's traffic. I have the choice to choose a different route. And that's what Google says. Hey, there's traffic. You want to take this other route? Yeah, okay. Hey, there's sick people ahead of you. You want to go to this other restaurant? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I know the alternative is bad because it's been bad and 28 million unemployed and counting and the economy this and these stimulus checks, all that shit, it's not going to survive forever. So I think something is going to happen. It's a discussion needs to be had and how it's going to happen. And I think... A lot of people are saying, you know what? I don't give a shit. Just let me go back to work. I'll make money um, and pay my bills and all that stuff. If you need to tra trace, if, I'm, uh, if there's a sick person in the supermarket or whatever, whatever. You know, I understand it's tricky. And I understand your situation. And that's what many people are thinking. But we need to start thinking about the alternative, which is not good. But like I said, this is not binary, okay? This is my problem. That every... Every topic, people make binary. That's why I say you need to break up the duopoly in politics because everything is binary. You're either with us or against us, but that's not it. The, the answer, the question is not, uh, or the, the solution is not we either take away civil liberties or we have another horrible pandemic going on and it lasts forever. Those are not the only two options, okay? There's other options. And like I said, the biggest Number one thing that we should take away from this is, hey, you know what? Competent leadership matters, okay? The people who are in charge and can make decisions that literally will save millions of lives if or kill millions of people the other way if they make the wrong decisions, it really fucking matters. Okay, so, so 
the competent leadership may say, you know what, the way we can prevent this is by tracking people right away. But like I said, that's not, you're not understanding. You, no, I am. I'm trying to, I mean, I, if I were, I don't know really if I were a leader, like I was going to ask you, in fact, that was the wrapping question that I had. If you were... Like I said, if, if it were a 12, 18-month program and then we said at the end of 18 months, we're done, we're just doing this so we can get the virus under control and then after this, we're going to have a million other procedures in place so that this doesn't happen but we also don't need to track people 24-7 and remove people's civil liberties. I'll be okay. But I have no trust and no faith that the government after 12 or 18 months is going to say, you know what? All this power that we just gained, we're going to give it up because that's not what governments do. No, I understand but I don't want to make this too long but uh, so... In your opinion, like back in February, and I remember because you and I were looking at the map and I basically um, were talking about the Back cases. in February when we had the map up and <clears> we had like 20 cases in the U.S. and I said we need to shut it down because even though there's 20 now. But by then, like, let me ask you, by then, as of January 30th, the country was shut down from China. Yeah, China didn't which matter. Is, it was already in Italy. It was already in Europe. It was already everywhere. We needed to shut it down, down. And that's what okay, I was saying. Okay, but then, but we then, and we waited. Well, it was month. shut down for China right away in January. With the moment we heard that, with about 15 deaths, and then the other ones were in a cruise ship or something. And then after that, it was shut down from Europe, all the countries in way Europe, later. except for the UK. And then the UK followed through. Okay, but at what point? And then you need to shut the country and shut down the country and make this decision when everybody was probably against you saying, "Hey." That's we, good. That's what good leaders do. Okay, I understand. They sacrifice their okay, personal well, ego and their personal pride. I don't, I don't pride. defend Trump or anything, but when Trump shut down the country from China, which is our number one trade partner, if you want to call it, okay, a lot of businesses were affected because they was like this fast, and then he got a lot of bad rap for that stuff. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. That's so so then do. he did right in that case. In that case. Okay. But then he fucked up everything else. Okay, that's fine. I understand. So, all right, so let's, let's wrap it's it like up. It's like saying, oh, I took a test and I got a 10%. Oh, so you got, out of 100 questions, you got 10 of them right. Well, you still fucking failed the test. Real bad. I understand. Okay, no, that's fine. That's okay. fine. So, so let me ask you, moving forward, you are in charge of... You're the U.S. president. Oh, yes, that would be it. <laughs> I would make America great again. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Well, we're still great, but um, let me ask you, forget the past, okay? Now you inherit this country the way it is now, just okay. like it happened after the uh, terrorist attacks and all that stuff. You inherit the country. Okay, and what do I do? What will you do? Okay. What will you be on your agenda? But let's start to keep it short because My it's, agenda. it's going to look okay. long. CDC, FDA, you're done. You're fired. Organizations organization shut down. We're starting fresh. We need to burn the fucking buildings well, down that, and start that's, anew. That, but that's your number one agenda. That's not going to fix anything that we have now. Oh, that's going to fix a lot of things. Okay. okay. I'm going to fucking remove a lot of the regulations out of the FDA that basically are a big part of why this mess happened. Everyone at the CDC who currently is employed through this whole pandemic, fired. The Surgeon General who said masks don't work, you're fired. Everybody who was completely incompetent at the government level, you're all fucking fired. You're all getting replaced. That's step number one. And they should have just resigned voluntarily in the first place, but nobody would ever do that now. It used to be a, a thing where if you fucked up real bad, you resign because you wanted to acknowledge it. 
and say, hey, I made a mistake, but the sanctity of the institution is more important than my fucking ego. Okay, the, but time, that, the time clock is here. That it's, doesn't it's exist anymore. It's giving you 30 seconds okay. left, uh, so, Mr. President. What's the answer? Everyone's fired. You're all fucking done. We're replacing you. So that's step number one. Step number two, we put it in place exactly what you're saying, a health passport for 12 months. But because I'm the actual president and I can trust myself, I will actually remove it after 12 months in this utopia, okay? Because it, it would be a utopia of yeah. president. Okay. All right, so the health passport is good. Do you just, do you just object to the forever Yeah, because situation? I don't trust them. It's like saying like, it's like, I don't know, it's like saying a, a crack addict saying, dude, I'm only going to smoke it once and I'm not going to smoke it again. Oh, sure, buddy. Okay. Only I one really glass of wine per week. Yeah, I'm only going to smoke crack once a week. I promise. Okay, sure. Okay, so, so, so no, but as far as specific, um, were you open the country right away? No. Were you? Uh, no, no. I would do a health passport. So, yes, for 12, 18 months, depending. Um, I would fund the shit out of our, uh, I, I would basically replace the CDC and put in a new organization that basically, they because we used to have a much better CDC. And there's many different reasons, not just Trump's fault, not even just Obama's fault. It's been happening for a long time, the degradation of the CDC, so to speak. So I would completely replace the CDC. I would... Maybe not completely replace the FDA, but massively amend the FDA so that we can do a lot of things like approve drugs much faster, uh, put in, uh, how do you say, uh, uh, extraordinary circumstances, powers that give the FDA much more leeway to do things and give entrepreneurs and biotech and all these companies much more leeway to do things much faster and iterate much faster. Um, remove a lot of the regulation. I mean, there's so many things I would do. Uh, but as far as specifically to the pandemic, that's what I would do. I would do the health passport for 12 to 18 months temporarily with a literal written promise. I'll get on TV to the country and say, if this is not removed in 18 months, you have full right to impeach me from power. Do you remember the famous um, read my lips, no more taxes? No, you're, you're I don't too, remember that. You're too I, young for I, that. Not my age, but... That uh, was uh, Bush number one saying that, and then they used taxes. But. I would go on, on TV and say... Well, nobody's watching TV these or days. Or live stream it on uh, <laughs> Twitter, whatever. Go on IG Live and tell the country. Go <laughs> to your um, Instagram story. All right. And basically say, if this is not removed in 18 months, mark my words, take this clip, blast it everywhere, impeach me, take me out of power, okay? That's my promise to you. This will be gone in 18 months. We are not going to track you forever. All right. So, so um, yeah. So, I mean, it, it looks like you will do a few things that we've kind of agreed oh, on. Oh, and also... Wow, there's a lot of things I would do. Are no. we talking just pandemic related? No, 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 no. I don't want to get into more stuff. But uh, uh, for now, I just wanted to know if you have any different idea of, I mean, we're opening the country in phases and there are some phases that need to comply. And then my my conclusion is that if everybody thinks that once the country reopens or any country reopens, that it's going to be kind of back to the way it was before, like, okay, this is over, the storm is over, back to sunny days and back to normal they are in for a reality check. So I know many industries are kind of in denial. They just say, oh, we're going to reopen and do this and that. And obviously, we talk to a lot of businesses ourselves in different industries. And some of them actually get it and they realize they need to change. Some others are like totally clueless. I mean, I had conversations with marketing directors, vice presidents, they're marketing and this and that. And they, they actually think that, oh, when this is over, we're going to go back to 
normal hopefully sooner oh, rather than later and other stuff the other thing i would do by and the way they, they they just don't understand that it's not going to be back to the way it was the especially thing, in certain industries the other thing i would do obviously this is uh, completely theoretical but i would uh basically retract uh all of the fed money that they did basically the allocation putting into junk bonds and muni bonds and all of that bullshit okay and i would just give people checks and i'd give people money and mm -hmm. i would give small businesses money i wouldn't bail out any of the big fucking companies if you bought back stock and especially if you bought back stock yeah yeah we discussed in the that last but that's years, basically i'm not bailing you that's, out that's ubi no, it's not UBI. Well, you, could, you can call it whatever you want. Temporary UBI, not permanent. Well, yeah, sure. but that's basically... But I would give people... If we're going to print trillions of dollars, why don't we at least give some of that to people? No, I understand. I, I'm in favor of that. I mean, I, I mean, UBI really is not a bad idea with certain controls in certain situations. And then so the that's longer term would be... Uh, I wouldn't say abolish the Fed. But I would say... <laughs> Go back to the gold standards. I would say... Nah, we don't even need gold. Bitcoin. But that's not... not, not some, that's a different topic for another day. Uh, I wouldn't abolish the Fed. But I think the Fed actually has some uses. But I would put extreme strict guardrails on the Fed. But you, the Fed is supposed example, to be independent. It's not supposed to be attached to okay, uh, the president. That's beautiful until they're not, basically. Yeah, until okay. Jay Powell just bends his back says uh i heard that he's actually a funny yes, guy king trump um yeah. and basically i'll put extreme regulations on the fed saying hey you know what the fed can't do you guys can't just add to the balance sheet to buy fucking junk bonds okay, okay. that's one thing i would do for example all okay. right, David. Well, thanks for your time. Oh my God, you're cutting me off. I, well, no, it's just that I think I think uh, we need to uh, uh, be okay. respectful of our listeners and viewers. The biggest things. Health pass for 12 to 18 months. If it's not over by 18 months, impeach me. I will resign. I'll resign voluntarily. And if I don't, if I get corrupt with power, impeach me. I'm videotaping myself saying, impeach me, impeach me, impeach me. If I don't remove this in 18 months. All right. Give money to people. I'll tell. Uh, I'll contact Pelosi to make sure that she uh, she's taking note of that. So, all right. Um, I was going to ask you, you have anything else, but you already kind of uh, blasted your thoughts. So um, that's it. Um, thanks Surgeon a lot. Surgeon General thrown in jail, not just fired, thrown in jail. I think the Surgeon General doesn't know that masks work. Why would every fucking doctor in the country know that masks work? I think he they should were, be thrown. They were in trying jail. to make sure that there was no. I don't give a fuck. Uh, you did uh, the Surgeon General. And you lie about the functionality of one of the most basic fucking yes, protections. Yes, but they didn't want people to I take know what they were doing away from their yeah, health professionals. And you know what you say? You know what you say? You say, hey, guys, I know everyone's paranoid. But for the good of the country and for the good of society, oh, yeah, like people give can. it to the people. Do not hoard masks and give it to the people who are risking their lives on a daily basis for us. Have a sense of duty. Have a sense of country. Have, have a sense of... You're giving, benefiting you're giving people society. too much credit. I no, think. I don't think I am. I All mean, right. look at what happens in wartime. People come together and basically say, this is wartime. Don't hoard bullets. Give them to the military, basically. Okay? So give the masks to the doctors and nurses who need them and who are risking their lives. David for president. Okay. He's yes. going to be running in a 20... When I'm 70 years old, like these assholes, 2028? maybe I'll decide are to you, run. Will you be old enough in 2028? No, probably not. No comment. <laughs> that you choose that role too. I don't. I don't reveal my age. Just like old people don't reveal their age, I don't reveal mine. Oh, I don't care about my age. I'm. Uh, 
you hear it? Oh, there's a glitch here. Okay. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with another interesting topic. Hopefully, we'll be loaded again next week. Yes, we'll be definitely going to be loaded. I told you that from the beginning. So we'll be uh, back next week, and uh, hopefully, there'll be a lot of progress between now and then as far as what we know that is going to happen. Maybe the health passport is already in place. I'm going to start taking my pictures for the passport and uh, my phone app and everything else. But uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Uh, follow us on um, mgragc.com. Um, just find us anywhere. And uh, especially if you like this podcast, send us a like on Apple Podcasts or go to YouTube, just a thumbs up, whatever. Just help us out because we do it just for fun and for entertaining purposes. And uh, that's it. Bye, everybody. Thank you.